everybody, and welcome to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul. I am your host, as always, today. Super, super stoked to introduce Mr. Blag Dahlia, also known as, or maybe introducing, Ralph Champagne. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you know who he is. Blag, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. I would like to start with aliases. So introducing Ralph Champagne, we'll talk about the, the new record and how different it is from your usual dwarves day job, we'll call it. Um, uh, but why all the aliases? Are you trying to escape the police in particular? <laughs> or That's a good question. I've always done a shitload of aliases and kind of crazy ones, too. Or like being saddled with a name like Blag. You know, you talk to people it's like, hi, I'm Blag. It's like, what, Brian? Brett? I don't know. You know, and, and it's it, so, yeah, the aliases are, uh, you know, they sort of give you a way in, I think. Okay. Like with Ralph Champagne, I kind of realized who the character was and what he was doing by giving it a name and then okay. even giving it an outfit. I, I don't know if you saw the video we did for yeah. Lolita Goodbye. Yeah. We sort of has this Hugh Hefner outfit. And after a while, it, it you, you sort of see who you are and what you're doing. You know, whereas I think most times in music, people kind of mistakenly have this great belief in in how important they are. <laughs> and if only they can communicate exactly what they have to say under their real name, then, you know, I, everyone will get the truth of how brilliant they are, you know. But for me, it's more like, you know, let's just shoot for like, okay, there's this dude, Blag, and he makes these fucked up right. punk songs. And there's this dude, Ralph, and he makes these fucked up, you know, kind of uh, retro Americana songs. Right. And you know, it, to me, it kind of flows from there, you know, as opposed to like that sort of unshakable belief in how great – just you sitting there eating your lunch is, you know, to everyone else. You know, This idea of character is really interesting to me because I don't know how many people know, but you've written books and you you have a new one out. I think it's called Highland Falls that, that came out this year, but you write novels, you write fiction novels. And so you inhabit these characters in the way that you just described Ralph Champagne is there's a person inside of you that feels like Ralph Champagne and you're basically letting him out. Is that, is right. that it? Yeah. It's kind of a lot like being an actor, I guess, which okay. is funny because I never, you know, acting is one of those things like hosting a talk show, like that everybody thinks they can do. <laughs> right. Cause it's like, I can walk across the room, you know, I can talk. So yeah, I could be an actor. It's like, right. no, you couldn't. It's really hard to do. It's like it's really hard to host a, a talk show and have anyone look at it for more than 30 seconds, right? right? So it's like, um, I, I think the actor thing allowed me to kind of find a way into it. I didn't even realize okay. I was doing that for a very long time, okay. you know? But just yeah. being Paul that likes ice cream and watches Meet the Press <laughs> was not what, what I wanted to give <laughs> To people, you know what I mean? I didn't think that that was terribly interesting, you know? Right. So Paul watches Meet the Press, but Blag doesn't, and probably Ralph no. Champagne doesn't. Yeah. I mean, Blag wouldn't even know who, what Meet the Press is, and, <laughs> and you know, Ralph Champagne would studiously ignore it, you know? <laughs> that's He might that, want to sleep with somebody that watches Meet the Press, but he's not going to waste his time on it, you know? 
just a quick aside into the novels. I know we're not here to talk about the novels, but I do find them interesting. Um, so what I tried to do was go and check out a bunch of reviews. And as one might expect, it's a lot of fans of the the dwarves and fans of, of you, right? And so is that... How is that functionally different from the rest of your output, or is it not meant to be? That that's interesting. I mean, I think it's functionally much different as art because okay. in the in the dwarves, you know, you're very much like me, me, me. This right. is me. This is how I feel. Um, and and Ralph Champagne, in a sense, even though it's much different genres and much more Americana and not right. punk and all that, it's that same vibe of like, look, this is me, and I'm telling you about me. And I think when you get into the books, you really do have to kind of communicate through these other characters right. and you have to, you know, sympathize with them in some way or at least right. understand them in some way that, again, you know, Blag is much too two dimensional to do that. You know, like he's, it's not really something that he would do, <laughs> although I guess I put the novels under that name because it was a name people knew me under. Right. Um, and and, you know, but it's funny, too, because this is where marketing and selling things really comes in. I mean, I never had anybody behind my books at all. Right. I just sold them at the, at the, at the merch stand. And, you know, I don't think I ever saw one in a bookstore. So now I'm hooked up with these rare bird guys who do a lot of music books, right. but also do fiction and various things in LA. And my hope is that at least I'll get some kind of presence now in bookstores and some people will sort of be aware of it. I mean, I think the, all the reviews and stuff kind of came from the dwarves thing. Those are the only people that were exposed right, to knew this about book. It. Right, 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 right. That makes so, sense. So, you know, my, my, my hope is that because the way I see it is that my books would make really good kind of Quentin Tarantino fun right. movie kind of things. Right. They're, they're, they're written as literary exercises and they, and they, you know, I'm pretentious enough to think that I'm writing literature, although there's a lot of sex and violence in it. But, you know, my, my hope is that people will pick up on that and kind of separate it from the dwarves. It doesn't really have anything to do right. with that. Um, right. But we'll see. You know, I mean, it's that's where marketing, everything becomes one, right? Right. When you were a kid growing up in, in the Chicago area, so we're about the same age, coming up around the same time. I was a metal kid when I was in high school. Um, and you were doing, you were doing. Okay, I, I, I forgive you. <laughs> It's Thank okay. You. I do appreciate. I mean, you I'm can just, admit that now. I'm just exactly. I'm admitting it to you uh, and just putting <laughs> it out there, right on. Um, I'm the only guy that doesn't give a fuck about metal, and it's so funny because I've been playing in bands my whole life, right. and like every guy in a band is a secret metal guy or a not so secret <laughs> metal guy, right? I mean, if they're playing a the guitar, they all want to play that fucking solo and be right. fucking. They don't want to be, you know, Keith Richards and they want to be, you know, Ingve or whatever the fuck exactly, they want to be. Exactly right. And that and that's my question, right? So I bands my whole life doing doing punk rock or doing whatever my whole life. When you're young, you you harbor these dreams of of being a big star, right? Or at least a lot of my peers did, in, including myself. Um, but I get the sense in reading the backstory for you and what you were doing, especially early on, that that wasn't interesting for you. Just is that just punk rock ethos? Yeah, I, you know, it's a combination of things. I mean, that's a great question because, you know, I think secretly or not so secretly, we all want people to know our music. Right. 
and we all want everybody to love us. And if if it's a choice between having a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars or a million dollars and two million dollars, I'd rather have two. Right. So I think like people's protestations of their non-commerciality are a little fall kind of fall kind of uh, um, uh, false to me. Right. But I, I can honestly say that, you know, I was a punk rock kid. I had no fucking desire to have a big deal or ride up in a limousine or, you know, finally get to do X, Y or Z, you know, that that other people, you know, I've talked to these bands and it's like, man, you know, when we when we wound up fucking opening for fucking Tom Petty or when we when we wound up getting that award or when we wound up, man, just selling all those records. And boy, it was just the biggest day of my life and all this shit. And, and for me, it was like. I never got anything. Right. I never got anything. But, I never got anything at all. So it was like, fuck, what do I care about? You know, and it was like what I cared about was making a great record. Right. right. Just that was what I cared about. Can I make a great record? And after a while, you realize that money and fame help you get there. Because if, you know, if Josh Freeze had never heard of me, then he wouldn't be playing on drums on my record and I wouldn't have that right right? so having a certain amount of money and fame and infamy or whatever you have really is kind of important you know but yeah it's funny because i've met a lot of people and most of them man as soon as you scratch the veneer all it comes down to is dude led zeppelin we wanted a plane (laughs) we wanted a bus dude (laughs) you know and it's just like i never gave a fuck about any of that you know i i did always want to make the coolest record and I didn't want to work day jobs like I had right. to do. You know, I had to work shit jobs, a huge chunk of, of my life. And, and it was hard. And again, you know, it's hard to make your music when you have to do that. Right. So it, it's all tied in together. But, yeah, I didn't I didn't I don't think I had the same kind of jack off fantasies that other people did when they got into rock and roll. My jack off fantasy centered around. I'm playing a big show so a lot of people can see me and I made a great record that a lot of people heard, right. you know, and, and, and I'm still working on that, you know, because as I said earlier, I never got anything, <laughs> you know, so it's like he's it, getting it, very it, close to the camera, everybody. That's I just. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's <laughs> like uh, um, I'm hoping that that with Ralph Champagne, that hunger is still there. It's pretty rare that a person who's been making records since the early 80s makes a record and then they're really proud of it or really think this is important or this is different or this is something that I did that you might really like. And I think it's the it's the hunger that makes you do that. Whereas if they would have given me that record deal that all my friends got in the 90s when they all got their bus and their manager and their publicist and they all got to feel real important, you know, all those guys are still stuck there. Right. They're just wondering where it went. When, what happened? When you first signed the sub pop, was was that a feeling of success? I made it. This is this is something, you know, going along with this with this line of thought or this explanation that you're given. Almost. I mean, it was it was it was a big deal to us, but but there there's a few factors in it, you know, like sub pop was known underground by the time we got in with them, but that was 1989. Mm-hmm. So they were not the household name that they were at the end of right. 1991 when the 
Nirvana record came out on Geffen and it said Sub Pop on it and everybody right. was going crazy for for Sub Pop. So yeah, it was to me it was a big deal to have a label because again there were other guys from punk rock who were smarter than me at the time who said fuck labels. I'll put out my own record. Mm -hmm. I'll make my own t-shirt. I'll make more money at it and I'll own it and fuck these guys. Right. That I came around to that many years later. Right. You know. Right. Out of necessity because we got dropped everywhere. And so it was like, well, fuck, if I'm going to do this, I better do this myself. But at the time it was like, fuck, I just I just want somebody else to do that stuff. I'm not pretending that I know about it. So it was a big deal to get to Sub Pop. But the other thing that people don't really understand is that there's different tiers of how you're treated. Like it's nice to be on a label, but it's also nice to get some attention from that fucking label. Cause, <laughs> cause while they were licking mud honey's balls and naming Nirvana and handing them money and doing everything for the, their friends from Seattle, right. they didn't do a fucking thing for me. Right. Right. They fucking, I, I might as well have not existed on right. that fucking label. So, you know, it, it's like, it gives you a good feeling psychologically to get a record deal or think somebody gives a shit about you. But I would love just once to experience what it's like to have somebody actually help you. Right. That would have right. been great. You know, I went to sub pop and epitaph. I liked people at both those labels in various ways. Um, but the amount of help they gave was just so negligible that it, it, it was really kind of pointless. If I would have known what I know now, I would have sunk all my money and time and resources into just trying to promote these objects mm -hmm. that I made. Right. But, you know, it was like, I assumed that they would do that. And then neither of them did. You know? They were too busy licking the balls of the <laughs> bands they actually gave a shit about, you know, when, which never included up. When you think of Blackgrass or you think of the, the Ralph Champagne thing, does that initial notoriety or some of the negative press that dwarves got back in the day, does that, does that help or hurt what you're, when you try to branch out, when you try to do different things, does that sort of negative stigma hang around? Because it's not punk rock people with the negative stigma. It's general population. Yeah. I've heard of the dwarves are the guys that, you know, have sex on stage or whatever. So, you know, how does that, how does that, um, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a number of levels to it. First of all, it's not just the general public. It was people in punk, too. Okay. Um, the dwarves have been getting canceled, as they say now, right. for ever, or right. since the 80s. Always accused of sexism, always accused of, you know, pointless violence, uh, uh, you know, which was actually true. Um, but, you know, it was like... Um, you know, but asking, how does that affect you now? I mean, I think in a sense, it put us on the map. Right. So it was the old all publicity is good publicity yeah. thing. Yeah. I think in another sense, right at the moment when I could have cashed in, you know, when Nirvana was the biggest or Green Day was the biggest. It was harder to cash in in any way because people were just scared. Labels were scared. People were scared. Publicists were scared. Radio stations were scared. Whatever it was, yeah. so they didn't. Want, nobody wanted to be first in line to go. Hey, we love this, you know. Um, so in that sense, it was bad. But you know, I think more important is just how successful you get and how how what kind of balls you have. 
because I didn't get very successful. So there wasn't anybody pushing me saying, you better keep doing this same mm -hmm. thing that's working so well for us. Right? right. It wasn't like anybody was telling me I had to go on the road or right. telling me I had to make another record. So, so that frees you, you know, I was free to make Ralph champagne because there wasn't anybody saying, Oh man, you know, think of all the millions you're leaving on the table by not making a dwarves record right now. You right. know I mean? It was like, so what, you know, you could, so I think not succeeding frees you to do a lot of things. And I think having a rep at least allows some people to know who you are. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there's a lot of confusion about it. I mean, and, and, you know, it does. After a while, you're an artist, you write songs, you try and make the most quality shit you can. And then every review I read is like, you know, fire breathing shithead idiot punks <laughs> the dwarves make another release that I'm sure is going to make your mom upset. You know, and it's like, right. well, dude. There is some music on there. Right. At least you know, listen. Some, right. Yes. Yes. There is some songwriting on there that, you know, you might actually be surprised. And and I've always been fascinated by this same paradox. Right. Which is that th this is where you really see what marketing is. Right. If you have a bad reputation that comes from your publicist and your label, you can get huge. Right. You can be like you can be. Black Sabbath, or you can be Marilyn Manson, or you go, ooh, they're so mean and tough and and strained and the sex pistols. Oh, it's so scary. Right. And, you know, boy, this is just, we're going to scare your ass into buying this. This is a band you love to hate, right? But if you don't have your publicist pushing that, if, it's, if you're just actually somebody that scares the <laughs> fuck out of people, then it can really work against you in a very real way right. that isn't being marketed and pushed. Right. I'll never forget the, the, the woman who, um, you know, was our publicist at, at Sub Pop. She was Sub Pop's publicist, but she was actually the only only person from a record label that ever helped me at all uh, in terms of publicity. I've met nice people at record labels and they did various things for me. Right. But in terms of publicity, I, there's only been one that ever actually got me in anything. Right. So so after we lost the deal with Sub Pop, she went to Interscope. And I remember her calling me and saying, hey, you got to see this new act, Marilyn Manson. They're playing in San Francisco and I'm going to take you to the show. So we go together to the show and we're sitting there and we're watching. And I'm, you know, the, back then, you know, Marilyn Manson, I mean, it looked like the Nuremberg trials or something. It was this right. huge thing. And he was strutting around like a fascist on stage, you know, and it was just like, whoa, man, this is like mind blowing. And she looks at me and she goes, yeah, you know, it's 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 so ingenious because it's like, you know, the band that you love to hate, you know. And then there was kind of this pause. And. I kind of slowly turned to look at her and she slowly turned to look at me and she kind of realized that that's what I had been doing the whole time. I just couldn't get anybody to fucking believe in it or put any money in it or help me with it or produce it or do anything. Right. You know, she was just kind of like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's what you were doing. You know? And it was like, you know, so yeah, you know, it's really funny. It's like marketing makes its own reality. You know, and so being the bad guy can be very profitable. You know, if you're if you're, right. you know, if you're Anthony Hopkins and then they give you a million dollars to be the bad guy in Silence of the Lambs and your publicist talks about, you know, no, nobody thought he actually ate people. Right. You know, but then we we would, you know, get in a fight in a nightclub and it was like, these guys are these guys are destroying everything, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so if we if we start talking about introducing Ralph Champagne now, so 
outlaw country, new Americana is kind of the style. But my question here is, can we draw a line from something like Kings of the World or Demonica to uh, something on Ralph Champagne? Is there is there a way to draw that line? Or are they, as we were talking about when we started, are these different personas? Uh, that's another good question. Yes, I think there's a line between them. I think they're all irreverent. Yep. You know, but being irreverent in the rock and roll sense means going a little too fast for people's comfort, you know, throwing in whatever it is, profanity, you yeah. know, doing yeah. uh, doing uh, uh, kind of strange things with production that throw in elements of dance music and different things. There's there's ways to be kind of outre in rock and roll that push it. And then with the Ralph Champagne thing, we're coloring within much more like sonically acceptable lines mm -hmm. you know it's like this is something you could play for your for your folks or Absolutely. for your kids or for your school teacher and it's yeah. not going to immediately you know when you play dwarves immediately it's just like da, 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 you know and you're, you're kind of like okay i know this isn't for me you know until they listen Champagne, to your words right until they listen to the words right yeah i mean i think with 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 ralph champagne there's a little element of yeah, once you get the words and you kind of realize, oh, okay, there's still something kind of subversive here at, at points. Um, so that's one place. And to me, I, you know, I'm a great believer in American music of all kinds. I mean, I, I, I love old records from the 20s and 30s, and I listen to them, and I, I, I listen to, you know, great records from the 50s and 60s and great records from now and just any mm -hmm. period in American music is like to me – important and you know it 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 all ties in in that sense mm -hmm. it's all it to me the dwarves were just a speeded up rockabilly band and you know ralph champagne is kind of a slowed down punk band whatever whatever you want to call it it's right. like um so i think there is a through line there but it might be difficult to see given given the realities of you know how stuff is marketed and sold you know you might not immediately see what makes dwarves ralph champagne right but that's fine you know because i want i want a bigger audience for ralph champagne than mm -hmm. i got for the dwarves i think it deserves a bigger audience i think it's more listenable and it's got more that more people would be interested in the musicianship so i definitely want to talk about that musicianship is is pretty great you know it, i think it it rings authentic your girlfriend the pedal steel in that uh, don't tread on me the fiddle parts in that so the playing is so good and true to what you're trying to get across you thanks know? so much yeah that was it didn't come easy <laughs> <laughs> i had to talk to a lot of people and try a lot of things especially during the pandemic because people were sending you shit over email and you're just like motherfucker like you can't even sit there in the studio with them and go hey can you try it this way right you just you know people right. are doing shit so you're not even in real time right, right. Make, making right. a record during the pandemic was extremely difficult but it we sort of did it in two phases i mean really the guy that deserves the credit for this ralph champagne record is you know my partner andy carpenter who really is the production mastermind. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who's so good at recording, editing, and mixing that it really makes me look a lot more competent than I than I am, you know? And then we start with this basis of Josh Freeze on drums and a guy named Tom Ayers, who, you know, is pretty well known up in the Bay Area, but not really as well known as he should be. I mean, he's just an amazing player. And he played bass, acoustic guitar, and electric guitar. So by the time we got done with that weekend at Josh's, we kind of had the basis of the mm -hmm. record. Mm -hmm. And then the next phase was all those crazy overdubs. 
And then the pandemic had hit. So it was really hard to get anybody in a room or figure anything out. And it was all kind of hit and miss. Um, and so that kind of came down to knowing who to talk to, finding people in the country scene and going, look, I respect you, man. Tell me who I should be hiring mm -hmm. to do this or that. So like that pedal steel you mentioned, it's a guy named Drew Taubenfeld. And now I think he's Casey Musgraves. Okay. <laughs> music director or right. something so he right. he was clearly too fucking good to be in the studio with me but but there he was these different people come on josh free is too good to be in the studio right. with me tom ayers is too good the fucking all these guys you know the the fiddle player was a guy named jesse olama who's amazing i don't know how well known he is but he to me he was the real story of this record because you know there's a fair amount of guys who know how to play country fiddle mm -hmm. You know, but I turned around and said to him, can you play this one with Lolita Goodbye? I said, can you play this one like a bad Italian restaurant? And he immediately fell into that. And then we got to, you know, uh, um, elementary love song. And I said, can you play this like 70s disco violin? And immediately he did that. I mean, it was just like these guys that are like world class, you know, and and. You know, with Dwarves, I got to play with with really good guys. Nick mm -hmm. Oliveri. I mean, for my right. money, he's the best bass player there is in, in punk rock or rock and roll. You know, a lot of these guys. I mean, Fresh Prince of Darkness, Mark Mark Diamond is just a consummate sort of rock and roll guy who can play every bar band riff and every metal riff right. and every hardcore riff. You know, so it, it always starts with getting these really good guys. But yeah, I mean, with Ralph Champagne, it was. Uh, uh, I, I got lucky because I was feeling my way through these country guys that I didn't really know and, and didn't really know how to tell them what to do. Right. You know, they had to, I had to kind of communicate with them and, you know, and kind of a, what the fuck's going on way. And they, they were really good. You know, I mean, I, I got very lucky with this in a lot of ways. You mentioned quality. elementary love song, which, it, which I think might be my favorite song on the record. It's very, very good. Um, who's, who's doing the, the female vocal on that? That's another very interesting one. So Angelina Moizov is her name. She is, uh, she comes from Russia originally, but she's been in America for, for decades I knew her from a band called Persephone's Bees that was this very kind of interesting, international-sounding pop garage kind of group. Okay. I don't think they thought of themselves as garage, but it but it came off that way. Right. You know, it was this kind of, it felt undergroundy, but she has this magnificent and very, very girl-like, but very accomplished voice the heart's very hard to describe but it's, she, it's delicate but it has some authority to it is the way that it came to me yeah she was trained in russian conservatories i mean she knows music you know and again i'm always fascinated working with people like this because all i ever can do is come up with a decent song and then they're like if they like the song then they come in and it's really the songwriting has allowed me to hang out with all these great musicians because I can't play music to save my fucking ass. But your vocals, your vocals are perfect on the Ralph Champagne record. Oh, I have you. to say, I mean, you fit the vibe perfectly. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, I've I've been working a long time to try and sing something that wasn't just screaming, you know. And it, it <laughs> I finally got there, you know. And it was, uh, yeah, it's been a long road, you know. But I'm always, I always have to pinch myself a little bit when I'm in the studio with anybody who's really good. Because right. I know myself, you know, and I just don't, I was somebody who like 
was not a great musician. And so I needed to surround myself with those with, kind with of better music. So, so, and that's the, the sign of a, a, of a confident person or a not insecure person, right? You need to, you need to play with better people than yourself. Otherwise you're never going to get anywhere. I, I think that that's really, really important um, for musicians. Yeah. And that's why most rock and roll bands, it's both why they, most of them suck and why the ones who succeed, succeed. Mm -hmm. so, so I'll explain. Think of a great rock band, you know, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin. I mean, the story is always the same. Everybody in it was good. Yeah. Most bands aren't like that. Most bands have one guy that right. does everything, lights everything and does everything and thinks right. of everything. So the band is just mediocre by definition because everybody's just keeping out of this guy's way, you know. Right, right. And uh, um, that just explains a, a lot of bands, right? So the 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 ego guy can't turn to the other right. guys ever and just say, Hey, could you do this? Or right. what, what do you got right. for right. the dwarves from the earliest days? Everybody wrote songs too. people assume that I wrote all the songs, you know, but it, but it wasn't that way. There was, it was, there was all kinds of songwriters in the dwarves and still are, you know, and, and again, I think that that's why you get most bands, punk bands, right. And it's like, whoever controls the band, their best song goes first. And then their second best right. song goes right. second. Right. And then by the time you get to the end, you're like, this is your 17th best song on this record, you know, <laughs> with the doors, it's like everybody's writing songs. So I feel like I have all these choices about great, the great songs to fill a whole record with, so, you know, which really cuts down on our filler a lot, I think. Yeah. But then getting to why that makes you successful. Guys in rock bands who are assholes, who believe that the world revolves around them and that the sun actually rises in the morning for them, for them tend to be more successful than everybody else because they constantly run their own shit up the flagpole and people start saluting it. Yeah. And people yeah. at record labels or management are used to these egotistical fucks. And to them, that feels like what a rock star is supposed Should to be. do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they'll, they'll sit there and go, you know, I mean, I would always hear about how difficult we were or how difficult we were supposed to be. Meanwhile, you're babysitting some junkie, you know, you run a fucking record label, but you're babysitting right. this junkie asshole that you fucking signed, who can't stand up, who fucking smacked his wife, who fucking falls down, but he's your junkie and, you, and you're and you gonna make sure it all works. Yeah. You know, with the doors, it was like, we, we couldn't get any help from a fucking record label or anybody else because we weren't junkies. But the best thing I ever heard, the guy at Sub Pop said, yeah, the dwarves, I mean, they come in, they got their songs, they run their shit, they know what they're doing. We don't have to do anything. And I realized like, oh, shit, you're acting like you're giving me a compliment. But really what you're saying is I'm not going to help you at all. I'll be over here sucking Kurt Cobain's dick because, and making sure because that you can do it all. Right. Right. Well, right. While he fucking dies in yeah. the process, you yeah. know, but it, Hey, whatever, you know, it's like, it, there's a very weird dynamic like that in rock and roll that I've never been able to explain, Ooh. you know, it, where they like to babysit fucking dipshits who can't stand up. <laughs> but then you get somebody like me and it's like, Oh, he's really difficult. Right. He 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 completed a full sentence and had an expectation <laughs> so, of me. So that, what a difficult different. asshole that is. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. You know, and you're just like, okay. 
back to square one, I guess, you know. One last thing here before I let you go, and that is the Contraband remix, which I thought was amazing. Again, talking about adding these different elements. I immediately thought, oh, this reminds me of the song Convoy from the 70s. It had that same vibe. But also, this could be the theme song for Justified or any number of of TV shows. You should make a trillion dollars with Contraband Remix. It's funny that you mentioned Justified. I thought that was the first country trap thing ever that I heard. Right. And that must have been 15 years ago right. or something. Exactly, yeah. And nobody, it didn't really take off. It, was, it took that Lil Nas X song to make things take off. Yeah. Because they had to have a tie-in. Again, yeah. it's all marketing, right? right they had to have right. a tie-in with Billy Ray Cyrus. And then it was like, okay, we see what this is. Yeah, we had that song Contraband, and my whole idea was, uh, you know, you take the verse from Convoy and combine it with the chorus of uh, Eastbound and Down, and you'd get a great song. You know, <laughs> it's it real modern party. And then, and it, right, so, that, so that's like the country version of it. And then when the country trap thing came along, it was like, oh, shit, let's do that with this. And again, Andy Carpenter, he's got the talent to do it. Like, not only did he produce that whole country track, he turned around and did that remix that sounds like a <laughs> trap guy remix, you know, so so good. A lot, lot of lot of talent there. And yeah, man, I, I just I just couldn't be happier with this record. And I feel like, you know, the more people hear it, the more converts we're, we're going to get for it, you know, right on. So I want to thank everyone who's listening and supporting the podcast. It is very much appreciated. I will drop all the links for introducing Ralph Champagne. Everybody knows who Black Dahlia is, of course, from the dwarves, but I'll still drop those links anyways. Uh, blog, Ralph Champagne. Thanks for coming on the show. It has been awesome talking to you. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Man.